Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And he was like, "I'm just going to nip to the loo. If Jeff Stelling comes, can you just chat to him and uh, tell him tell him what we're going to do today? He knows what he's done. He's done this a million times." I was like. Oh my God. So I've, I've worked with people like De Bruyne and Salah in the past and people would necessarily probably think they would be the players I'd be most starstruck by. But genuinely, like, the most starstruck I've ever been right is by Steve Sidwell. <laughs> All right. There was also a newspaper journalist there at the time and he interrogated Kurt Zuma after our interview, interrogated him about whether he thinks he deserves his place in the team. And it was honestly, you could see the wall being put up by Kurt Zuma. I want to open up to you and allow people to understand more about me at the same time. So that's something I've always battled with. And it's led me to get super deep into like battles with anorexia whilst I was in sick form. The feeling of being ridiculously hungry and thinking, oh, you know what, if I can battle through this, then I might lose a bit of weight. How do you, at the moment, how do you envisage the podcast evolving? I see Travel Talks hopefully being the biggest travel podcast in the UK. That's my goal. I've always had that anxiety about whether I'm living enough now versus planning for the future. And it's something that's been I'm being very, very aware of. So you start thinking, okay, the second I'm allowed to, I'm going to get on a plane to places like Japan, where I've never been and people speak of it so highly. Welcome to Football and Feelings, the podcast that shows a deeper side to those with an affiliation with the world's favourite sport. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then tell a friend. It will be greatly appreciated to continue growing the show. But for now, let me introduce you to the guest for this episode. I'm joined by a football fan, Guilty. He supports Reading. Sky Sports senior assistant producer and co-host of Travel Talks. It's my friend Alex Emery. How are you doing, mate? I'm really good, thank you, mate. It's an absolute honour to be on Football and Feelings. Love the podcast. I've listened to every single episode. Huge fan of it. So to be on it is a bit crazy, to be honest. And yeah, I'm very grateful for for having me on, mate. I appreciate it. The pleasure is all mine. I've got I've got a lot that I want to talk to you about, but let, let's dive straight into it. Uh, I want to see how you you got involved with football as as a fan. What was what's your first sort of memories of of having an interest in the game? Yeah, so I've loved football ever since I was a kid. I've just been absolutely enthralled by it. But weirdly enough, no one in my family likes football. It's really odd. So my dad doesn't like football. Mum doesn't like football. I don't know where it came from. Probably just a kid. Every kid in England just grows up kicking balls around, jumpers for goalposts. And that's kind of where it started for me. Loved playing football. Um, Can't play football anymore. I'm absolutely atrocious. People talk about Rooney peaking early in his career I probably peaked about the age of eight so that was all downhill from me from that point onwards so I yeah don't play it but just love get love everything about football the the hoo-ha the politics the transfers the players everything that comes with it I think it's amazing and just different different leagues from every other any other sport that exists in my opinion Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that definitely. And you know, don't knock those prime years when you were eight years old. You've, still, you've always got that. You've got it in the bag. People think of like the golden era of their careers all the time. It's like, oh, that's it. That's Suarez had 
that season that Alex <laughs> Emery had under nines. <laughs> yeah, that's it, mate. I remember great first touch. Still got a little bit of first touch, but everything else is gone. Now, I want to see. I want to see what you think about the the recent events of the European Super League. As a, as a Reading mm. fan, a club that have been sort of on and off the cusp of a playoff place this year. Um, obviously, this mm. has evolved quite quickly and it might even be outdated by the time we have released this episode. But it was announced and thrown away within 48 or 72 hours. But w- what were your thoughts seeing uh, seeing that unfold? Yeah, I was really scared when it first came about, to be honest. It, it felt like it was going to happen. I can imagine everyone could probably relate to that. It, it really did feel like a real threat. And I know Cara and Neville spoke about it on Monday Night Football um, a lot better than I can, but they they genuinely were really really scared, um, and I, I think from myself as a running fan and myself working for Sky Sports, there's a couple of, like two edges to this. Um, obviously, if Sky would have lost uh, the six powerhouses of the Premier League, that would have affected my role a lot. So hmm. I was fearful of that happening for that reason, but also for a running fan. Like I know it doesn't directly affect us because we're not in the Premier League, but I think ultimately the whole point about football and what everyone was saying was that football is about dreaming. Everyone as a football fan in their current state doesn't want to be in their current state. People mm. say the championship's the best league in the world and I do agree. That I love the fact that anyone can beat anyone but ultimately no one wants to be in the championship. You ask every championship fan, they want to be in the Premier League and that's the dream. We want to be in the Premier League and who knows, one day, one time in my lifetime I might see Reading play in the Champions League and that it seems a, it seems a long way away but ultimately that's the whole point about football. So I was scared that that was going to be taken away from me and I'm glad that it looks like the right thing's going to happen. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think the the fear of having that ladder sort of pulled from from underneath anyone before they have the chance to climb it, and it just shows mm. how the, how out of touch like the big wigs are in in that regard. Like they thought that they knew best, and that the fans would just accept whatever their decision was. And like none of the EPL clubs underwent like extensive research to see how the fans would feel about any yeah. of this and how, how they would engage with it, which which baffles me. But I guess it it signifies the fact that global reach for these clubs at the at the end of the day is so much more profitable than mm. pleasing the, the local fans in the community. But I'm I'm so glad to see it see it thrown out of the way before I had a chance to settle. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> Let's talk about sort of in your time working at Sky has working in sort of that that realm of football media as a as a producer has that ever tarnished your relationship with the sport because i imagine you see a different side of it you see the sort of more more into the sponsorship side and the editing side of it and stuff like that has that ever tarnished your relationship yeah it's it's, it's definitely work now i can't lie about that it definitely mm. is work but at the same time i do love football and i'm i'm like beyond aware of the fact that i'm crazy enough to call it my job like I do I do genuinely pinch myself some days because it, it doesn't feel like work and I know that's cliche and a lot of people say that oh the classic phrase of once you find a job you like you'll never work a day in your life and it's true to an extent there are some days <laughs> which feel more like work than others but yeah it's taking that it's taking that kid like feeling the way I look at football and idolize players it's taking that away from me I, I I see players and managers and these people at the top of their career. I, I see them as normal people. So that um, that feeling that you get at the bottom of your stomach when you see a footballer, and it, it's a horrible feeling. But at the same time, like it's quite nice in a way because it it makes you it makes you idolise these people. That's been taken away, and yeah, I, I can see football for what it really is in terms of like a, a sponsorship side of things. But also, yeah, 
we're Sky. We've got we've got to maximise the uh, the rights that we have and make it reach as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Working with these footballers, like you said, there they just become normal people. But what mm. was it like at first? Was it quite nerve wracking, mate? Absolutely terrifying, like <laughs> beyond terrifying. I'm, I remember vividly, right? When I, my first few days at Sky Sports, you go into the building and it's like these people who I now am aware are not that famous, but I would see people walking around Sky Sports who've like had fleeting appearances on Sky Sports News and be like absolutely in awe of these people. I'd be getting in a lift with someone like a reporter and being like, I, I can't even speak. I can't even bring myself <laughs> to say hello to these people. And like one thing that stands out for, to, to me was when I met Jeff Stelling for the first time. So I was like an apprentice about my first week in the job and I was sh- shadowing someone to produce uh, a Skybet show, a preview for the weekend. And he was like, I'm just going to nip to the loo. If Jeff Stelling comes, can you just chat to him and uh, tell him tell him what we're going to do today? He knows what he's done. He's done this a million times. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, you should have seen me in that situation I was like this man can't come back from the loo quick enough if I have to speak to Jeff Selling, <laughs> I honestly don't think I'm going to be able to bring out any words but he actually Jeff arrived before um, this guy came back and yeah the nicest man you could ever meet I genuinely remember remember him talking to me at Reading asking him uh, how long I've been working at Sky who I support all these kind of things and obviously he's just an absolute beacon of knowledge like he knows more about Reading than I probably did at the time because he's just mm. so clued up and well researched but yeah the, the, a really sound man and I think kind of from that point onwards um, you start meeting people and going you know what these people are genuinely just real people and I know <laughs> they seem unreachable to most fans they seem like they're almost not human in a way but you come to meet them and you, you realise that yeah 99% of them are really sound people Mm, like and also for you like you've i feel like the the sort of staff and infrastructure that that as a consumer we see on sky hasn't changed probably hasn't changed that much that much since maybe you joined like you still work with like smithy mm. and, and stuff like that the mm. people who who sort of grounded their own on on soccer em how's mm. how has that transition been working with people that now becoming like a, a colleague of these people, like there with, with Jeff Stillen, but like yeah. someone like you're working on shoots with and you're editing their videos and helping them produce these these pieces of content. Is that still, is, is that, does that just feel completely normal now, I presume? Yeah, absolutely. Completely, completely normal. Like on that respect, there are people outside who I work more closely with than others. So for example, Smithy, I out of Smithy, Laura Woods and Tubes, I would say, of the talent that work for Sky Sports, those are the three I'm closest with. Smithy, I work really, really closely with, and like went to his wedding. Really good friend. Uh, can yeah, call on call upon him for advice on stuff that I do. Um, but yeah, all of these people. I remember, for example, when I first started in the YouTube team, we were kind of a team that was brought together from people who were uh, working in different sides of Sky Sports to join one new YouTube team, which would create YouTube content for Sky Sports. And I met Laura who at the time was just in reports for a show called Game Changers on Sky Sports. I met her and Smithy, and I remember being sick to the stomach, the idea that I was going to have to speak to them. And they'll find this hilarious now listening back to this, because I don't think I've told them before, but genuinely, the first time I met Laura, I went in, and you know that awkward thing of like, do you shake someone's hand? Do you, what do you do? Do you give them mm. a hug? I remember going in to give Laura Woods a hug, and she went in for a handshake. <laughs> and I've gone in for a hug and she's just gone oh is it a hug is it and I just remember like 
<laughs> but genuinely years after that like you know when you just you're lying in bed and that you, you, your mind just goes back to that thing and you just start cringing all over your skin <laughs> just remembering that moment but yeah I was so 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 nervous and um but yeah now these people are just genuinely normal people normal people and yeah very very nice and have helped me a lot in my career mm, so in your job Similar to a lot of people, everything's sort of been moved online and how, how that landscape has, has changed quite a lot. Is it easier now or is it harder to do like these interviews with players and, and produce these from, from afar or is it better to be face-to-face in your opinion? Oh, mate, it's so much better to be face-to-face and it's something I very much cannot wait to come back. It'll probably be next season that you start seeing it, but um, hmm. even from a viewer's perspective, the, the shoots we'd do, we'd go to a, go to a ground meet a footballer, set up the camera, set up the lighting. I'd speak to the footballer, tell him what we want from the feature, uh, record it, bring it back to the office, edit it. It would be a really nice piece of work. It it would have been put together really well crafted. And as a result, the views on this content would be really, really good. And it would be very satisfactory to come away from that product and seeing that right from the inception, coming up with the idea to go into the shoot, like I say, setting everything up, coming back with the footage, editing it, and then bringing it out and putting it on YouTube and everything that comes with that and I remember that that sense of pride of working on that because you've seen it right from its inception right the way through to the end and you get a really great product at the end of it people would be more inclined to watch it because obviously you see as you zoom interview now and your interest in it is much less than if two people are sat face to face it's just it's just what we've got to accept um so yeah I cannot wait to get rid of zoom interviews start working on producing stuff there and then and creating some really top tier content because that's what sets us apart from everyone else in um in the industry and in the space because we can produce very top tier content um and light with some amazing cameramen and everything that comes with that so i want to get back to doing that because that's a that's a real passion of mine for sure do you think that the input and output has has changed quite a lot in the sense that now that you can do these over over Zoom and and stuff like that, is there more of an inclination to to just churn out more and more content because there is a sort of a cap on on the quality that that it could be? Yeah, the the, the cap genuinely exists because, for example, we had an interview with Alex Oxlade Chamberlain and Andy Robertson, and it was an absolutely fantastic interview. Genuinely, you couldn't have picked two better people to be interviewing. We do a feature called True or False well, we like the name suggests it's literally who asked true or false <laughs> questions, but um, they were absolutely perfect for it. The banter they had between each other, it was class. And I remember thinking, oh my God, if this had been in person, it literally would have been the one of the biggest videos we've ever worked on. It would have hit a couple of million views, would have been amazing. But with Zoom, you, ha- you literally do have a, a, a cap because you've got certain people who just won't tolerate watching Zoom. And obviously the, the audio quality is not as good. Everything's not as good. All these kind of things which influence how long we'll watch a video for. And the YouTube algorithm will pick up. Watch time's not very good. People don't want to watch this and not push it out to as many people. So yeah, I, there's definitely a cap. And let's get away from Zoom interviews as, as quickly as possible. Mm, let's Let's talk about your route. Uh, into working for Sky because I've heard you speak about this. Mm. Um, I think it was when you had Laura Woods on your podcast and she was yeah. talking, saying that how <laughs> the traditional route is to come through as a runner. You really start from mm. the bottom and work your way up. <laughs> but I'm all right in saying you your route was a little bit different, let's say. Yeah, definitely. I get stick from Laura occasionally on this and Smithy <laughs> as well because they really earned their stripes genuinely. Like they absolutely grafted. They came in and they do unpaid work. They'd be making mm. cups of tea for people. 
They'd be doing everything they could to try and get their way and they get their foot into the door. But myself, I got an apprenticeship straight out of A-levels. So I did my A-levels, applied for every single apprenticeship under the sun and got a few interviews. I remember getting offered a job at a company called Digit and I accepted it. And I said to them, okay, I'll accept this, but on the on the um, premise that I can go to an interview because I've got a second stage interview at Sky Sports. And I remember the man saying to me, yeah, fair enough, mate, not a problem, <laughs> go to that. And if you don't get it, then yeah, come back. So that was really nice of them. And I went to, went to that, got the job. And yeah, started working um, as an apprentice. And like, I, it's not lost on me how lucky I am to do that because like I say, people genuinely graft for years to get the opportunity to then get a job where they're working on sport. And I was in straight at the, at the time working with, and I know it, it it doesn't carry as much weight coming from someone who works at Sky Sports, but genuinely the, per, the people that I work alongside every day are the best in their industry. So you have someone who's, for example, curating a lot of the work that we do on Photoshop. That person is one of the best Photoshop users ever that I've ever come across. And I've got the opportunity to work alongside him and then people who create podcasts and people who produce interviews and obviously the talent who interview people. Every single person who is in their craft is the top of their craft because they're working for Sky Sports ultimately. So to work off those people to me was, and I haven't been to university, so I can't completely align it next to what it would have been like to go to university. But for me, that was almost the best education I could ever ask for because I watched the TED talk the other day, actually, and it was about people who produce online courses. And there's a lot of snobbery towards online courses because obviously they, they are seen as a way for people to kind of create some money from their followers. But ultimately, isn't, isn't it arguably better to get education off someone who's actually done something firsthand in the industry that they work in and can educate you on how they did it? than perhaps a professor who's been working in a university for maybe 10, 20 years, but hasn't actually worked in the industry themselves. And especially in social media and digital media, it's moving so fast. And where digital media is today versus where it was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, it's completely seismic, the difference. So to work off people who are having to adapt and learn and grow these massive accounts, for me, was just amazing. And it's allowed me to be quite well-rounded in what I do. And learn from every single person and take on a bit of everything of what people do. Do you think that you've changed quite a lot since you started started your apprenticeship there as a as a person but also professionally of course? Mate, I I hope I've changed as much as I think I have, but <laughs> I remember the the person who walked through that door and it, it's tough to say because I was 18 at the time and it's, it's you shouldn't beat yourself up too much about the way you were at the time mm. because ultimately you can't change it, but I think it's important to look back on where you were and assess where you were at that time. And I think there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And I was definitely towing that line quite, quite, um, yeah, I was right on that line. And I think to some people I was misconstrued. I think I was just very much in awe of the opportunity that I had. And I was trying to take it in and soak as much information off people as possible. But also I've, yeah, I've got I've got a self-confidence and if pe- people could have misconstrued that at the time, but I think the person I am now and what I've learned from people and how important it is to be nice to people and to work with people and make sure that they want to work alongside you because ultimately it's a very small industry that we work in and word gets around and it's just important to be nice to people, I think. And that that's the way that I've changed the most. And I hope that people who met me when I was 18 and still know me now when I'm 25 will think that I'm a completely different person because that's certainly how I look on myself. 
let's on that note then let's talk about about some of the nice players that you work with. Now I know that you're yeah. you're a professional guy, so I'm not going to try and dig up some dirt. And is <laughs> the biggest the biggest brat on a shoot. Um, but so let, let's sort of see who you think was a, a few of these different these adjectives. Pretty much, who do you think yeah. was the most eloquent and comfortable in front of camera? Yeah, interesting one. Nice way to phrase it as well. So eloquence, I would say, would go to Pierre Emil Hoiberg who I interviewed with Smithy in about 2019 when he was at Southampton. And we did a feature called FIFA Versus, which goes down quite well. But I remember he started speaking incredibly philosophically about life. And I came away (laughs) from that interview. I genuinely, basically, my colleagues ripped me because whenever I come back, I used to come back to the office after doing an interview, I'd be like, wow, that was the best interview I've ever done. That person was incredible. Uh, He's got such an outlook on life. And I'd be so hyped up and everyone would just look at me and go, oh, you said that last week, mate. But honestly, (laughs) Hoiberg was just, he, he spoke basically about how he's still friends with people that he grew up with and the importance of it and how football's like such a fast changing um, environment. So he'd he'd have friends at Southampton, for example, but then in a year's time, they move on. So it's, it's kind of like, it's almost a bit like, and I'm sure we'll come onto it later, a bit like traveling when you, you have quite fleeting relationships mm. with people and you can't lock down a friendship with someone who in theory could move on and move to a different part of the country or a bit different part of the world in just a year's time. So, yeah, he spoke about how the importance of being friends with his childhood friends and how that keeps him grounded. And I remember thinking, yeah, it was a very sound bloke. Yeah, very valid point. Yeah, you're right with with the travelling thing. You you meet these people and you think, oh, yeah, we're going to be friends forever. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then a few months later, you've, you've unfollowed them on Instagram and you're, and you're not asked anymore. <laughs> what about the the player who, was, who has been the most engaged in like the activities that you're doing, like really wants to, to throw themselves in and get involved? Yeah, that luckily enough to be fair, we have quite a few of these, so it was quite hard to think of them because we try and we try and allow footballers to like put their personality across. So it's not mm. going to be they they the best way to sum it up is we wouldn't want a footballer to be at all nervous about what we're going to do because we we are t- approach interviews in quite a professional way, but equally we don't want to stitch anyone up and we want to make sure they're aware of that right from the off so they can relax into the interview, show them uh, who we are and who they sorry and show us who they are and uh, everything about them. So yeah, Kurt Zuma would be my uh, would be my answer for this one. Mm. Literally the happiest bloke I've ever met <laughs> yeah. in my entire life. Infectious. He was laughing and had like the best smile and genuinely just such a lovely bloke and I think some players just get it and I think it yeah. gen- tends to be the younger players. Some players just get get what we're trying to do, know what we're after and uh, vice versa and Kurt Zuma just absolutely got it and he just gave us a great interview and um, I think ultimately when you when you look at it from a player's perspective as well it's a great opportunity for them to show us who they are and become likable to to fans and um, yeah a lot of the interviews we've done have, have opened up and shown a different side to people and I think if you get fully on board with what we're trying to do as a footballer it's definitely just as much in it for them as it is for us. Yeah we'll come on to that sort of approach that that Sky have taken to, to like really calm mm. the players. But but now, what about the player that you've worked with um, that made you the most starstruck? Yeah. So I, I, I'm i going to drop some names and I don't like name dropping because it's just <laughs> embarrassing really, but it's probably what you want. So I've, I've worked with people like De Bruyne and Salah in the past 
and people would necessarily probably think they would be the players I'd be most starstruck by. But genuinely, and I spoke about earlier, the kind of feeling of being a kid, the most starstruck I've ever been, right, is by Steve Sidwell. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> right. genuinely i remember going to the medeski as a 10 year old boy and watching steve sidwell spray balls around the center of the park and when you meet someone like that your brain just goes straight back into how you felt at the time when you idolized that person yeah. and nothing changes so i remember obviously working with him i worked with him on a, a show we did called the football social and he came in and smithy was like nudging me and nudging sidwell and going oh alex is a running fan alex is a running fan <laughs> like winding me up and i remember just being like so so nervous but ultimately i was like i get a picture with him and i don't don't like to get pictures with people because it's obviously not the most professional thing to do but i was like you know what this can be an exception to the rule get a picture with him and it was quite a proud moment to me to be to be fair is that allowed? Do, do Sky like ever have sort of uh, any restrictions on like your? Mate, there's, there's there's no restrictions on it. Fair enough. There's absolutely no restrictions on it. It's very much a person to person basis. I think uh, the way I look at it, I I wouldn't do it um, because I want that that player to look at me as a professional person. And I think if I start fanboying and say, <laughs> "Oh, can I get a picture?" and all this, suddenly they start seeing me as uh, a fan rather than a player and. Uh, sorry a fan rather than a producer and in that respect I want to be want to be held in in the regards as a producer so that they can yeah see me in that light rather than that of a fan and footballers they do seem to really like appreciate this like you said it was a, a formal approach but from the fans point of view and from the players point of view it almost seemed it feels like an informal approach that a show mm. like sort of Soccer AM who, who like really changed that landscape and in, in how we communicate with with players and the digital channels as well that Sky have introduced like Sky Sports Football like like you were saying there have continued to pursue that sort of light-hearted style of of engagement and instead of asking them about about the deep hard hitting topics that they don't they don't want to answer but is that difficult mm. for you to to find a balance between being professional in those situations yet ensuring that you you're casual enough for them to to feel like you're approachable yeah I, I, it is it is hard at times and i think when you look at the content that we produce sometimes people think that we aren't necessarily journalistically professional but i actually don't mind about that for example at that shoot i spoke about kurt zuma there was also a newspaper journalist there at the time and he interrogated that's the word i would use Mm. kurt zuma after our interview interrogated him about everton's current run of form everything that comes with that whether he thinks he deserves his place in the team and it was honestly you could see the wall being put up by kurt zuma he didn't want to answer the questions. He gave that bloke nothing, didn't want to support the content he was producing. And why would he? It, it was almost an attack on him. And I think that's what we do differently to allow people to get on board with what we're doing. And I don't think it benefits anyone to produce that content because ultimately as a, as a fan and a viewer of content, I wouldn't want to read that anyway. It's, it's, too, it's too straight, it's too newsy. And I would much rather... Because we, we've seen, we've heard those questions a million and one times with, with fans and interviewers and players. We're all bored of those same questions that provoke the same cliche answers. So everyone wants a different response. And I think it's important to try and be different. So we always evolve our content to make sure we're getting different responses from people. But yeah, ultimately, it boils down to the fact that we really want to get an insight into that player's personality. So like Joel Matty, we interviewed um, last year. And I've never seen Joel Matty do an interview. I don't know if you have. 
it was completely new to me. The idea that we were going to get Joel Matip, I was not blown away from a producer's perspective. I was like, okay, this could be good. It could be good. I've never heard anything of Joel Matip. Yeah. And it was absolutely brilliant. He gave us so many answers that were just hilarious. He spoke about the no context Joel Matip account. He was just <laughs> such a quirky, bubbly, lovable German bloke. And to be honest, every German footballer I've worked with has been incredible and very, very down to earth and funny. And he definitely fitted that mould. And it, that's what I like. It's so Dominic Calvert-Lewin, players like that, that, yeah, you've seen before, but they've got a lot of personality. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's obviously into his fashion, has a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of interests outside of football. And we allowed him that, that platform to get his views across and really show who he is as a person. And as a result, we got a great interview. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're the nail's been hit on the head several times there. Like from the fans' <laughs> point of view, it really is nice. Like it, it's so refreshing to see just like a, a casual sort of talk in various different formats with these players. Like you said, showing their personality. I never watch post-match interviews. No, um, why would you? I, like because yeah, because I, I could I can guess what the answer is going to be. They're going to talk about you know moving it on, focus on the next week. You know, most mm. most important thing. Yeah, I did score six goals tonight, but the most important thing was you know we got three points. Like, don't lie. You're buzzing. Mm. You got six goals. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that, that that's been really nice from a fan's point of view to see that evolve because you can't imagine that happening in the in the generations before. Like, I don't know, Roy Keane, for example, is probably, mm. probably the go-to. Yeah. <laughs> can't imagine him engaging in that sort of content, right? No, exactly. <laughs> I want to move on now to talk about Travel Talks, your, your podcast that was born out of lockdown. But before we go into the sort of ins and outs of it and and, and how you sort of produce these and, and what you speak about, um, well, travel, of course, but <laughs> I want to know what the podcast has done for you. Has it served a purpose on like a, a practical, social or, or like emotional level? Without a doubt, right. So I, I want to be open and honest in this interview because like I said, we're a massive fan of the podcast and I want to, I want to open up to you and allow people to understand more about me at the same time. So it was definitely without a doubt a saviour for me last year. I was quite in a in a dark place during particularly the November lockdown. I remember taking numerous walks with my girlfriend and being open and honest about the way I was feeling. And it was completely new to me because previous to 2020, I would say that I haven't actually struggled with mental health. So 2020 was a bit of a learning curve for me and it really allowed me to develop a new side to my personality. And I think going through stuff like that, and it's not like I went through anything completely different to anyone else because we were all going through the struggles of lockdown, but to be hit by something which affects me so hard as not being able to socialise, not being able to see my friends, it allows me to then be empathetic to other people who are going through that situation. So as bad as I felt during November and various other lockdowns that we've been through, I'm actually quite grateful to have gone through that because it's allowed me to become a more well-rounded individual who's empathetic and caring towards other people's feelings. Uh, and I, I do feel like until you've until you've felt low yourself, it's difficult to be able to relate to people who also feel low. So the podcast, bringing it back, was definitely, like I say, a saviour for me because it allowed me to have that focus. I'm very much a goals-orientated person and I'm sure we'll come to it, but I definitely struggle being in the present and that's something that's always been a recurring theme for me in my entire life. I'm I'm very much looking forward to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, setting goals for myself and trying to hit them. So 
having the podcast allowed me to do that because November and the whole of 2020, to be honest, it felt like my life was on fast forward. It felt like everything about my life was just being whisked away from me and this year had kind of been deleted and anything that I mm. wanted to achieve, I couldn't achieve. And that's quite a negative mindset to be in. So the podcast gave me a focus and a goal to start hitting towards. So yeah, I was very, I was very grateful to have set it up. And even from the aspect of being creative, um, I kind of didn't realize to be honest that I needed an out outlet for my creativity until I started the podcast. Like I am quite a creative person. I, I used to perform in all the school plays. I was Oliver. I used to love it. And to be honest, <laughs> you do strike me such... as an Oliver actually. <laughs> do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll dig out some clips for you. Um, <laughs> there, <laughs> there's, there's such an unreal buzz and I'm sure you get it as well, mate, from essentially being live and knowing that anything can happen and you know you need to perform under pressure you only get that one shot to make something happen and that is genuinely such a buzz and I used to to be honest feel a little bit ashamed of that side of my personality and used to hide it because I think there are a lot of connotations that come with people who like to be on stage and in a way like to be center of attention and I used to put that part part of my personality to one side because I was quite ashamed of um of how that would make me look and how that I'd be perceived as a result of it. But to be honest, having this podcast back in my life has unlocked that in a way and made me realize how much I enjoy the pressure of essentially performing in a moment. And also, you know what? Just starting to understand and accept who I am as a person. And if that's the way I feel and that's what I enjoy, just to embrace it rather than hide it because I'm scared of other people's perceptions of me. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I feel like anyone that starts a podcast realizes that pretty quickly that it's, it's a chance to to express yourself, but in a way that like you're still yourself. I feel like even though like mm. I, I plan these podcasts quite quite rigorously sometimes, like I, I'm still mm. myself, but you have to be yourself plus 10, 20% in the same way that yeah. you would if you were a TV presenter. Like you need to show your personality, but also... There is, there is like a, I don't know, there is this feeling built up inside of you that when you sort of exert it, it, it does feel, does feel quite good. It does feel natural, but again, just like a heightened version. Um, mm. That That's good to know that it, it served you a purpose and that it's, you've sort of got back in touch, I guess, with that, uh, that more creative side and that, that more sort of, sort of performing part of your personality. Why, why do you think that you, you sort of put that to one side? It just just like you said you were, were ashamed there but what does what does that really mean in in that context i would say to be honest from like school right just you got a can of worms there that we probably haven't got enough time to open but school is is quite a horrible place and i don't think you really realize how horrible it is until you get out into the big wide world and realize that every day isn't an opportunity for you to be judged on who you are and trying to fit into different cliques and oppress mm. people you don't even like school is is genuinely a horrible place for most people anyway some people like it of course but to me i was i think of the in-betweeners right i was the in-betweener at school i genuinely i don't think i fit into a single friendship group whether that be the drama group because i love drama whether that be the football guys because i like playing football i was on the cusp of every single friendship group trying to essentially please everyone and I, I couldn't truly embrace that drama side of my personality because obviously school's horrendous and the second you get on stage as Oliver, you're getting ripped to piss by every single person who plays football. Mm. So if you embrace that too much, 
um you just you've got to protect yourself it's a dog eat dog world school it's honestly like you'll get eaten alive and it's, it sounds mental to say that but that that's kind of how i treated it so i always kind of parked that side of of my personality and also you, you, drama in school is quite an approachable thing drama outside of school to me i was never going to pursue that because i didn't want yeah. to have the association of being the guy who'd be in the drama club and go prancing around on stage and do you know what I mean? That's not who I was. I quite liked acting. I was I, I I used drama as a way to perform and build confidence and I liked public speaking, but as soon as I left school, that outlet for me was gone. So like I say, the podcast has kind of taken on that. Up to this point I didn't really have an outlet for that creativity and I didn't know what that could even be, to be honest. Mm-hmm. What about from a like a travel point of view, how has doing the podcast like you speak to some amazing guests about their travel stories? Um, and some of the stuff they're, they're talking about is absolutely bonkers. Mm. Um, how much has doing the podcast changed your your ambitions to travel, your your bucket lists, your and like the way you immerse yourself in different cultures? Yeah, it's completely changed. Absolutely completely changed. Because these people that I interview, obviously they've gone to the furthest corner of the world, immersed themselves into cultures, which I haven't even done. So it feels like a, like the elephant in the room whenever I'm doing an interview on travel talks, especially obviously since Saunders has come on board and he's travelled to most of the areas of the world. I've not travelled a lot. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to do a public service announcement on that on the podcast. <laughs> I have not travelled a lot. And I feel like when I started the podcast, it was almost like an opportunity for me to speak to these people and learn why travelling is good and what it can do for your personality and and for yourself as a person. So that that's out in the open now as much as it can be. But I wanted to learn from these people about the places in the world which have meant the most to them and the places they'll keep going back to and why why travelling is so important to them. So I think the, the takeaway really is that nobody I've spoken to on the podcast or outside of the podcast has ever regretted spending money on travel. Nobody. Even if someone's completely shit, you've got a story for the rest of your life from mm. travelling. And... As cliche, you know that phrase where it says traveling is the only way you can spend your money and come away richer. I think there's something in it. I think for once a fridge magnet has <laughs> told the truth. But like <laughs> genuinely, like everyone I've spoken to has has loved the experience they've the experiences they've had. And I think to be honest, going through 2020 and having every single every single thing I enjoyed taken away from me, pretty much anyway, bar a few things ripped away it almost gives you a blank canvas to start building who you are as a person again and start going you know what what do i actually enjoy what do i want to do with my life so i was sat in lockdown watching like so much youtube so much netflix anything that i could get my hands on in terms of travel and it it dawned on me that that is something that due to the fact really that I've gone into work from the age of 18 and worked nonstop until now at 25, I haven't had that gap year. I haven't had the opportunity to go away because my mind has just been so focused on work. And don't get me wrong, that's allowed me to be in the position I am now. And I'm grateful for that. But ultimately, I do feel like there's a lot more traveling that needs to be done because it's something I do enjoy and something that like something you said, to be honest, Liam, when you when you were on Travel Talks, which is going to come out in late May for people <laughs> who are interested, um, you, you said that you don't want the what if. You don't want to get to the end of your life and think, oh, what if I did that? And that really resonated with me. And it was God, how I spent I a lot that? of my God, time that was thinking. Insightful. <laughs> oh, mate, you've got a lot of good quote <laughs> graphics going. <in. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it really resonated with me. It's how it's how I felt in lockdown. It, it, I think when travel's taken away from you and you start thinking, oh shit, I've not done that yet. And yeah. what if COVID means that I'll never be able to do that? So you start thinking, okay, the second I'm allowed to, I'm going to get on a plane to places like Japan where I've never been and people speak of it so highly and it just looks like a different part of the world and a different culture, which I really want to immerse myself in. So yeah, it's changed my outlook entirely and I think it definitely will change the way I travel in the future. It's so interesting that almost everyone everyone that I speak to on this podcast and probably to, to a certain extent, the people that you speak to on your podcast, almost everyone feels like they're missing out in in mm. some way. Like everyone is, seems to be, there's like this circle of envy where everyone's envious of the person to their right who's done, done yeah. a little bit more to them. But then to their left, someone's looking at them and is probably is going to be envious of you who has worked from 18 to 25. Like I have like mm. a good friend of mine, Andy, I don't, I don't know if you listen to this. Hi, Andy, if you do. <laughs> um, he, he sort of similar to you. Um, what 18, he got an apprenticeship uh, in marketing in London and like he was the first one to to buy a house and like now he works for like a, a company that he he would have aspired to have worked for when he was younger but he looks at looks at me and other people and wishes that he'd done a bit more traveling so it's so mm. difficult to it's difficult to to understand your your own place and your own experiences without without undermining them like the, there's there's always regardless of if the grass is greener on the other side there is grass on the other side like they, mm. you could, you sort of paint it however however you want to paint it does it does that make sense i've just waffled on yeah completely there. completely yeah and i i think i'm kind of coming to terms with the fact that i can't do everything and it's something which you need to come to terms with because like you say someone's always going to be envious and i'm i'm totally aware of the fact that people look at me and think oh you're in an amazing position working for sky sports and i would not change that i, I want to make that abundantly clear i'm so grateful for what i do but ultimately i i do want to take on more life experience because I, i'm very aware that these are the best years of my life and i'm i think it basically stems from like an underlying fear of death which is not to go too morbid but basically mm. It kind of, I do look at life in a way like every single day is quite precious, and especially the day today is arguably more valuable than tomorrow. As you as you grow up, your your youth is is very important, and especially I'm at a point in my life where I have no responsibilities, don't don't even have a pet. There's there's nothing other than my job that would hold me back from doing something. So I'm I'm very aware of the, that fortunate position that I'm in, and I want to kind of take advantage of that before that changes really. Let's let's talk about that then. That sort of balance of life experiences and and planning for the future, because the mm. thought of traveling has has always made me question whether I should be saving like saving loads of money, maybe for a, a big trip at, at some point, um, or trying to do like frequent small ones. Like it's hard to ignore ignore that financial side of it, and I feel like it sort of gets brushed over quite a lot. People don't talk about that the the money side of of traveling that often. Because um, we'd all like to travel more, but that's it's it's not always possible, and the novelty would probably wear off if if you did mm. it all the time. Is that something that that you you think you're getting better at understanding, like that planning for the future life experiences, the house, the the whatever it is of getting looking after a pet, and that between the balance between that and life experiences right now? 
Yeah, definitely. Like I, I said earlier, living in the present is something I've always struggled with. Yeah. And my mind has always been built to plan for the future and to think about the future. But I, I've always had that anxiety about whether I'm living enough now versus planning for the future. And it's something that's been I'm being very, very aware of. And like I'm a big saver, but it dawned on me quite recently if I'm not living now and I'm not saving that money and using it for anything, what is that money for? Essentially, you build money and you don't ever spend it and you think, well, what is the point? What is the point? And I've said yeah. this before, like about the fact that these are the best years of my life, like arguably why am I not spending this money to travel and experience things and pick up life experience during the, the, these years of my life? Because I won't be able to if I if I have kids in the future or I have different responsibilities that I take on. So that money, it's money is pointless, basically, is what I'm trying to say. It obviously unlocks. I see money as a key, basically, a key mm. to unlock a door that you want to open. And obviously, obviously money is important in a way, but money is a way to unlock life experience, whether that be a house or whether that be a wedding or a car or a holiday or anything you want to spend your money on. You can do whatever you want, literally spend your money wherever you fancy. But to me, that's all money is. I look at it quite objectively and say, if that allows me to go traveling, that's valuable. If I choose to spend that money to buy a flat, that's what I want to do. That that That's all it is to me. So I, I have tended in the past to do like little and often trips, like going away to football games and try and see as many different football clubs around Europe, for example. But my mindset set now has definitely tr uh, shifted to longer, further travel, to experience cultures I've not really experienced in my life so far. So, so yeah, that, that's how I'd I change probably. With the podcast, um, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I've listened to, to every episode and, and I've seen it evolve as a fan. Um, like with Saunders coming in, like you mentioned, like the two of you mm. are fighting your corner and some like interesting head-to-head -head debates. But then you've also got like the guest heavy episodes where you get an insight into to the travel experiences of, of these interesting people. How do you, at the moment, how do you envisage the podcast evolving? Yeah, first of all, thank you, mate. Honestly, I wanted to say and make it really clear that your support lifting me at times has really helped the podcast go because it does get to a point where you're making a podcast and you're not getting any feedback from people. Mm. And then I'll get the occasional message from you saying, oh, I really enjoyed this episode, mate. And it gives you a boost that you wouldn't believe. So I wanted to say thank you for that, first of all. And hopefully I've done the same to you. You I'm, have. Uh, you, you, know, you know that I think what you're doing is incredible and it's going to take off soon, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, on your question, I, I, see, I see travel talks in the future and it's come back to that self-confidence thing. I see Travel Talks hopefully being the biggest travel podcast in the UK. That's my goal. And I'm I'm not afraid to say that out loud and not achieve it. It doesn't bother me if someone digs this out in a year's time and Travel Talks doesn't exist. Who cares? If I'm making something and producing something, my goal is to take it right to the very top. And if I'm doing something, I'm not going to do it unless I'm fully invested and I believe that's capable, essentially. Um, so yeah, that, that's my goal and it's how I've always been to set really lofty targets myself. Going back to Saunders coming on board, to me, it was like a real validation of my work because like I said, in terms of not really 
getting any feedback from anyone. You, you make podcasts and yeah, you see numbers in your analytics and you think, okay, this amount of people are actually listening to it. But podcasting isn't like YouTube where you upload a video and you see the likes and you see the comments underneath 95% of them, which will be nice and motivating you. Podcasting kind of feels like you're trucking audio out into the abyss and maybe people are listening to it. And unless yeah. people are like the nicest people you've ever met, and don't, don't get me wrong, there have been people, yourself included, who have, I've been like, you're top tier people. You're reaching out when you don't need to reach out. You're you're reaching out, sending lovely messages. And it's those people I'm really, really thankful for. But that's just the way podcasting set up and you, you mm. can't really argue with it. But when Saunders came onto the podcast and at the end of it, he was thanking me for having him onto the podcast. I was just... I was just basically quite like gobsmacked because I was making these podcasts thinking some people are listening, but do they enjoy it? Why like, are they coming back? Like, are they making it part of their weekly routine? That kind of thing. So for Saunders to say that he loved it and loved it so much that he wanted to come on board and help me with it was like a real validation because I watched Saunders. I watched his YouTube videos a lot when he was making them. And yeah, to to have someone of his caliber basically validate my work and say he thought it was really good and wanted to help improve it, to me that was a real, yeah, a real boost for me. And I know that now with Saunders on board and the contacts he's got and the experience he's got in the industry, he can hopefully elevate what we're doing and help it reach new heights. And to be honest, help me reach the lofty heights that I've set, which I might not be able to reach <laughs> on my own. <laughs> awesome. I look forward to, to seeing how, how that evolves even more so. I want to be there for the whole journey. If you ever need a co-host <laughs> again, mate, I'll, I'll fill in. Oh, you need mate, a sub. I know. <laughs> I know you're there for me, mate. Likewise. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, how, oh, on that topic quickly, what are the, I don't really know what the top like travel podcasts are in, in the UK. Are they, are they, are they big hitting names? Are you trying to maybe call out someone? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, like generally, I don't. Because I, when I listened to your podcast, it was the first travel podcast I'd listened to, and I, I'd never mm. really thought about why. Like, it's such a, it's such a, a an interesting topic. Like, and it's really like up my street. But I never thought about searching for a, a travel podcast, and, and until I saw yours. So yeah, I just wasn't sure mm. how that how the charts is is sort of structured. Yeah, so like top of the charts, the big one is Travel Diaries by Holly Rubenstein. And she she inspired me to create this podcast. Um, I'll be careful how I word this, but I thought what she's doing is brilliant, but equally there's a gap in the market for a different voice is what I would say. Right. So she essentially, um, I think she'd admit herself is from quite an a, a, a affluent upbringing and has traveled to very different parts of the world that I, than I have. And her guests are incredible. Like she's had Heston Blumenthal on, uh, Richard Branson, properly top tier guests, and mm. she's top of the charts for a reason. But I did think there was there was a there was a chance to have people on who love travel. Don't get me wrong, but equally have a different side to travel. Maybe they've experienced the negative side. Maybe they've like you like yourself when went backpacking through Southeast Asia. It's not it's not a story which really comes up much on her podcast. It is. I felt there was a gap in the market and I still think there is. So hopefully we can fill that basically. Great stuff. As amazing as uh, traveling is, like in shaping a person and, and podcasting about the topic, like we spoke about this when, when I came on, on your podcast, um, which like it contributes to who you are 
as a person, including your strengths and weaknesses, though, like it can highlight and make you realize little insecurities that you have. Like I remember when I was quite young, being on like beach holidays, like being really body conscious for like the first mm. time and sort of experiencing that feeling of worrying about what other people might be thinking. Has travel ever highlighted things that you might need to work on mentally? Yeah, I, first of all, I can definitely relate with body conscious issues whilst abroad. Like I've had, I've battled with body image issues my whole life, really. So I can completely relate to you there. I've like always been skinny. It's just the way I am. It's the way my body is built and my metabolism is a, a joke. And basically I can't put on weight. It's just, it's just something I've had to come to accept uh throughout my life and like people are very conscious not to highlight when someone is overweight but you don't really seem to see the same courtesy given when someone is underweight and that's that's something i've i've had to battle with and it's definitely been highlighted by travel um yeah to, i suppose to go in to go into that a bit deeper like I've like I said earlier kind of understanding mental health a bit more like I researched what that could be because the stigma around mental health and what you're trying to do and what everyone's trying to do to combat the stigma especially especially in men is to understand that like physical health you can have a cut on your knee and you'd put a plaster you could have a small issue in your mind and every basically everyone battles mental health in one way to outwardly come out and say you've got mental health issues, then suddenly people attack you with and tie you with a certain brush. And I think what we need to do is have a regular conversation and highlight that everyday people, everyone in the entire world battles mental health in some respect. So I tr I wanted to basically understand what my what was going through my mind and highlight that it was basically body dysmorphia. And I heard Ellis Platten talk about it in your podcast as well. And yeah. that episode really stuck out to me because... In a similar way, I I would look at Ellis and basically think he is a normal bloke, completely got a normal physique. He's not overweight. He's not underweight. He's a completely normal looking bloke. But he sees flaws in himself that we cannot see. And I really, really resonated with that because that's how I've lived my entire life. People would come up to me and maybe they'd they'd, they'd not realize that there's something going on my, in my head, but I'm battling with the idea that I'm overweight and that just doesn't make any sense because you'd look at me and you'd think, oh, you're really, really skinny or you're completely normal weight. But I'll be honest, I, even now, I have no idea whether I'm underweight or overweight or not overweight. I'm aware I'm not overweight. I have no idea whether I'm average weight or underweight. I just don't know because I can't look at myself in the mirror and be objective about the way I appear. So that's something I've always battled with and it's led me to get super deep into like battles with anorexia whilst I was in sick form, I was literally trying to eat as few calories as possible and try and strip my body of every ounce of fat just to try and make sure I wasn't overweight and try and, like I say, it goes back to trying to fit in and be the person which people want you to be. But yeah, trying to understand what's going through my mind and I know it's self-diagnosing myself and you speak about the benefits of therapy. It's not something I've done, but I would definitely be open to the idea in the future um, but yeah, I'm, I think it's important to to look at the way you're feeling and trying to understand it. And because your brain's a crazy thing, and like, whilst you are your brain, not to go too crazy, but it's almost like at times your brain's working against you. So you've got yeah. to understand and learn what's going on in your mind. Yeah, and that takes that can take a lifetime as well for people. Like it, it 
it, it requires education to understand the gap between your own being and and your thoughts and and how you see yourself mm. that's that's really interesting because like like you said with Ellis Platten in in his case I wouldn't have thought that like looking at yourself like it's it just shows that everyone has their own sort of internal struggle that Mm. isn't always voiced out and it, it can be it can be really difficult for them to understand let alone explain it to other people and it, it is a it is a frustrating thing that objectivity that that we all can lack at times like it's it's so difficult to look at yourself and from just a completely uh non-biased or non like a, like an awful point of view <laughs> yeah it's it's so frustrating but do you think that you're you could be on your way to gaining the bit of a, a greater perspective of that and the, those struggles that you you have been through, or do you think you're still sort of there and, and need to need to work on it? I'm getting better, definitely for sure. Like um, where, where I was when I, when I was in school, like I wouldn't have been able to self diagnose. I wouldn't have been able to self diagnose myself at the time as going through anorexia. But it's only once you go two years, three years down the line, you look back at yourself and you're thinking, I was literally eating like a small portion of rice and vegetables for lunch because I wanted to try and eat as little as possible. And I'd be on the, the feeling of being ridiculously hungry and thinking, oh, you know what, if I can battle through this, then I might lose a bit of weight, which is just mental to look at. So if I can look back on that now and be completely objective, then it shows that I'm making progress. And yeah, I, I the way I view myself and my body is, is is getting better and it's something which I'm improving on day to day. So hopefully by that logic, and I think it comes from growing up as well. Like the person, like I said earlier, the person I was when I was 18 is a completely different person to who I am today now at 25. And I think that ultimately comes with not really giving a shit about what people think of you. And mm. the person I was when I was 17 in school trying to fit in and please people and try and go on nights out and everything that comes with that versus the person I am now in a happy relationship at 25 in a stable job. Like, I don't give a shit about people's opinions of me anywhere near as much as I did when I was 17. So I think it's essentially growing up and finding out who you are and being more comfortable with who you are as a person. Yeah, what about... On the other side, then of, of that coin, has like we spoke about travel highlighting those things. Has travel ever helped you sort of overcome any fears or, or anxieties that you, that you might have? Yeah, it has actually, to be honest, because I was thinking about this uh, in advance and basically thought about the fact that I can't approach people when I need a photo taken of me in uh, like a tourism tourism <laughs> yeah. hotspot. I cannot do it. Like and <laughs> people would look at me and think. Like, especially if you put me in a room full of my mates, I'm like a really confident person. I'll always try and be cracking jokes and try and be funny. But if you put me in a room full of people I don't know, I immediately am a completely different person. And like I said earlier about my brain, like not understanding how it works, I cannot even begin to grasp how that works and how how that can exist as a way of living. But that's just who I am. But in a traveling respect, yeah, it's something which... I've always shied away from doing and my girlfriend who wouldn't mind me admitting that she's more shy than me would be completely fine to go and approach someone and say, oh, would you mind taking a photo of us? So that is something which over the years I'm slowly getting better at. And I think, especially from doing the podcast and speaking to people, the one recurring theme that comes up is people. No matter where anyone is in the world, it's whilst it's nice to take in the hotspots and the tourism element and the culture of a place, 
the culture of a place is really highlighted by the people and the people and like your stories that you told Liam it basically makes me go you know what why why am I not chucking myself in the, in the deep end and putting myself in uncomfortable situations so that I can meet interesting people because yeah that's where the stories come from away from from traveling is there anything that you think sort of provides you with like a, a source of mental wellness mm. yeah i would i would probably say playing golf and exercising okay, nice. so like joe weller speaks about this and I, I relate to him when he speaks about how exercising helps his mental health um he speaks really openly about it basically when he's not exercising he feels like shit and when he's exercising he feels like god's gift you will have seen him talk on his podcast he's not shy of some confidence but i relate to that as well like if i'm not exercising like i'll be like lying on the sofa having a really down day like if maybe it's sunny outside but for some reason i can't bring myself to go out and go for a walk or go for a run or anything i'll feel like shit and then my girlfriend will go it's a really nice day outside go have a walk whatever and we'll go for a walk and i'll be like right now i feel okay so it's just, it's just crazy and i think it comes from understanding your brain and sometimes it feels like your brain's your worst enemy always saying oh don't do that don't do that although yeah, you know yeah. the second you do it you'll just feel so much better from it and i think that's what exercise is for me for me because like, nobody wants to go to the gym like people like the gym but the actual act of going to the gym is torturous like it's not that fun but you come away yeah. from the gym and the endorphins that it gives you and it, the way it makes you feel that's why people go to the gym and that, that's what exercising is for me and just on golf really quickly like it's always been like a really brilliant escape for me because we live in a world now where you cannot escape a screen like I'm working from home I'm staring at a screen all day and I finish work and either I'm sat on my phone or I'm sat in front of the TV literally our minds are just glued to screens the entire time and golf is just a way to force your mind to escape screens and stop staring at screens so you have to be present when you play golf mm. i've struggled with it but when i play golf i'm forced to be present because if you're not concentrating at the moment the club strikes the ball that ball is going straight into the woods and yeah. that's just the way it is so you have to you have to be present and it's uvu it's like a mental battle the entire time that you play with it so yeah it's it's a, it's a great game and it's just so hard as well that no you can't master it you could be having an amazing run of four and play golf it's just the next day you'll go and you'll just absolutely shank one off into the woods just the way it is and it's kind of why i love it to be honest mm, yeah i agree golf does that does that for me as well it's one of one of few moments where i would just turn my phone off and it doesn't it almost mm. doesn't enter my mind like I, I don't think to think to check it and for the first time like first time in in that day or, or whenever it is you can just feel really immersed and like you and you're just surrounded by so much nature as well like there's the naturous aspect yeah, to that yeah um yeah we'll have a game one day mate we'll um oh, we'll, mate, we'll see, see who it. comes out on top It'll battle be of the podcasts <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe we'll do a live podcast from when we walk around maybe. oh that sounds good that sounds good to me good idea good idea now uh, alex before we round this off i'm going to finish with three long ball questions which are mm. they're straight they're direct but they're they're all positive like i want us to finish on some positive reflection uh, about yourself and, and your being so let's dive into it what three things do you value most in life um to sum up quickly my girlfriend, my family, and life experiences. That's that's what I would say. And like, just to elaborate a little bit, like 
she'll love to hear this, but my girlfriend is literally the nicest person I've ever met in the entire world. And I'm, I'm not just doing this for brownie points, but <laughs> I'm just so grateful for her for basically countless reasons. And she's made me a better person. I kind of think that's what relationships should be. It should be yeah. two people coming together, beating themselves, understanding who they are, but supporting each other in everything they do. And I kind of think that's how we work as a couple. So I couldn't have got down. Got, I couldn't have got through lockdown without her. And in a similar vein, like my parents, like I'm really lucky to have parents that have supported myself and my siblings the entire way through our lives and set us up to basically believe that anything's possible and not necessarily financially spoiling us, but spoiling us with self-belief and, and love to the point where it comes across in the wrong way sometimes, my self-confidence, but they've instilled in me the belief that I can do anything that I want to do in life. Because all the way through growing up, anything that I chose to do, any vocation or any job that I went down, they would have backed me to the hills. And that self-confidence and belief in me has basically allowed me to go all guns blazing into anything I do and reach for ridiculous goals. And in terms of life experiences, we've, we've touched on it before, but lockdowns basically made me realise that money and materialistic things don't matter. Like when you're sat in a, sat in a flat and all you want to be doing is going for a pint with your mates, you realise that, yeah, that's the stuff that matters, and mm. that's not that's not brought on by money. That that's that's brought on by life experiences and uh, socialising. Great stuff. Some really good points there, mate. What would you like to think that people say about you when you leave a room? Oh, I'd like I'd like to think that people say that I'm a a kind person who's got other people's interests at heart and is always thinking about other people but like i said earlier that that's changed drastically like that used to be one of my biggest anxieties because you hear people bitching about other people all the time and i think it's something that we're all quite guilty of you 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 hear these negative things said about people when they're not in the room and i always had that anxiety of oh if people are saying this stuff about other people while i'm not in the room (laughs) they'll be saying it about me when i'm not in the room that's just the way it is and that's a big anxiety that i've had and I think when I didn't like myself as a person, I rested on the idea and just accepted the fact that I was the person people were speaking about when I wasn't in the room. But I think and I hope now that I've come full circle on that and I basically have given nobody a reason to ever say anything bad about me. And I hope that's true anyway. But there are people I know who you could spend an hour trying to think of a negative thing about them, but they're just a lovely person to the core that you would have nothing to say. So hopefully that's where at least I want to be. I want to be that person which people only have nice things to say about. There we go. And the last question of today, Alex, what about yourself are you most proud of? I would say either my loyalty or my drive because I'll do anything to support people that I love. I'll do anything to support people who think that I can help them to be honest like if someone reaches out to me after this and here's the work for Sky Sports and wants me to cast an eye over something they do in their in their own life or wants me to help them in some way that they think I can help like I'll I'll help you out it takes me five seconds and I'm a really big advocate of that and like we've touched on it before but my drive like I'm quite a focused person when I put my mind to something and even when things get tough I'll knuckle down and try and achieve my goals. 
amazing stuff. Alex, thank you so much for coming on Football and Feelings today. I really do appreciate it. We've touched on a lot of things that, that I wanted to talk to you about anyway. So it was good to sort of have it on a podcast. Mm. Um, and I've learned a lot from you and a lot a lot about you. And I would like to encourage people to, to head over to listen to Travel Talks. But again, you like you did on your podcast, you'll be the best person to talk about where <laughs> they can find the show uh, and what can they expect when they tune in. Mate, first of all, thank you so much. Like, honestly, the pleasure is mine. It's an absolute pleasure to come on to Football and Feelings. I love what you do. And I know that it will be a massive success. You just need to keep going with it. And I fully believe that. And in terms of travel talks, yeah, everywhere that you get your podcast, we should be there. And if we're not there, then let me know. Reach out to me and say, why are you not on this app? Because we should be there. Um, but yeah, we, we interview different people uh, from all around different in- industries, sports, uh, travel, everything and we speak to them about their life in travel everything that makes them tick everything that makes them who they are the stories they've picked up along the way the best and the worst things that have happened to them and yeah hopefully different stories which you've not heard from these people because these people have done countless interviews before but hopefully we try and uncover a different side of them and uh, learn a bit more about their personality there we go and you can take my word for it as well listeners great show <laughs> head over there give it a listen not just because I've been on it I was a fan first <laughs> before I was a guest but um, yeah we'll call it a day there that's a wrap on another episode of the Football and Feelings podcast thank you for joining me feel free to get over to Instagram just search Football and Feelings uh, and join the conversation but for now take care and see you soon up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com